Hey, everybody. Today's episode of Finding Freedom is one of the most important episodes that I've ever done. Uh, if you remember, all the way back in 2016, seems like decades ago, there was a very tragic shooting in Orlando at an Orlando nightclub, a gay nightclub. 49 people died. In today's episode, we'll be talking to an individual who provided information to federal agents that could have prevented that shooting. Before we start the show, I want to talk to you guys about another great podcast out there, one that I've been listening to. It's called Paul's to the Wall. It is hosted by two uh, libertarian brothers, Mike and Nick Paul. They've interviewed experts on all kinds of different topics. Of course, some common names you might be familiar with, uh, Scott Horton, Gene Epstein, Jason Stapleton, Brian McWilliams, even myself, John Odermatt. I've been on that show. Awesome time talking with those guys. They know their way around liberty, and also they know their way around a bunch of different topics, which they also bring on experts to talk about history, jujitsu, cars, music, barbecue, and so much more. Guys, you want to check this podcast out. It's called Paul's to the Wall. That's P-A-U-L-S to the Wall. You can Listen to it wherever podcasts are found. Go check it out today. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome in, guys. Welcome to, like I talked about at the top of the show here, a very, very important episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And, you know, I don't want to take up much of your time here today. Very important that we get to today's guest, but I do want to let you know, Ahead of time, the content in this interview is maybe the most important content I've ever had before. And the guest that I'm talking to, Dalton Morrow, who I will introduce in a minute, uh, you got to understand he's currently in a halfway house and we did this interview over a cell phone. So there are a couple sound issues, little things. I'm probably more critical of myself and the sound quality than most people. You'll be able to get through it. I mean, this is a story that needs to be told and needs to get out there. So please, I really want to encourage you to share this story with your friends. We're going to be talking about and revealing some information uh, about the Orlando shooting in 2016. Dalton brought information to authorities uh, from his cellmate at the time that was communicated from someone who was talking to and in a relationship with the Orlando shooter. I'll introduce Dalton in just a minute here. Before we do that, I just want to encourage you guys, if you haven't yet, and why haven't you, um, please head over and check out the Burning Daylight podcast, friend of the show, Matt McKinley, bringing great, great content. Uh, Matt McKinley, if you don't know him, uh, he's a cowboy, legitimate cowboy, and he wanted to uh, create a show where he could bring on other cowboys and just talk about cowboy shit and uh, tell stories, have fun, cut up. You know, it's, it's a great show, and I encourage everyone to check it out, even if you don't like cowboys, which honestly, if you don't like cowboys, are you even 
an American? Probably not. I'm not going to argue with you, but you're probably not an American. But if you want to become an American, you can start by listening to Burning Daylight with Matt McKinley and listening to some cowboy shit. All right, let's get rolling with today's episode. My guest today on Finding Freedom is Dalton Morrow. Dalton was indicted by a federal grand jury in 2009, indicted on uh, drug trafficking charges. In 2011, he pled guilty and uh, was sentenced to 151 months in prison. Fast forward 2016, and uh, we'll talk about this. I don't want to talk about it too much now, but because uh, Dalton's going to give us the, the whole story here. But he came across some information from another inmate um, on a uh, potential terrorist attack, and he uh, ended up conveying that to a special agent um, with the knowledge, uh, thinking it would help him to uh, to get out of prison earlier. Um, We'll get into the details of what happened after that. Let's uh, introduce Dalton. Dalton, welcome to Finding Freedom. Hey, John. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, good to have you here, man. And uh, you know, our, our mutual friend uh, Malik uh, reached out to reach out to me. Connected the two of us together with this uh, with this story a couple weeks ago. And when you were, I mean, when you were telling me what happened to you, I, I honestly couldn't believe it. Cool. Uh, I, well, that's a lie. I, I could believe it because <laughs> because I've seen stuff similar to this happen before. But it's just uh, it's 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 mind blowing what happened. And I want to get to that. You know, it, as I kind of talked about in the intro, it involves you getting some information from another inmate about a terrorist attack and relaying that. And we'll go through that whole thing, how that went down. Before we do that, just so my audience gets to know a little bit more about you, um, if you could kind of share some background on yourself, where you're from. Uh, you know what your what your life was like in that time. You know, leading up before you went to prison. Uh, I'm originally from Bowling Green, Kentucky, where I was born and raised. Uh, I came from a background, I guess, of poverty. You know, I come from somewhere where you know it was, it was hard on us all, and and the younger guys had to get out and try to find a way to provide early on in life. So uh, it's pushed me into the streets, and and I became a drug distributor, which landed me in prison and, 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 and has us here today. I ended up serving 20 years total in prison uh, for, for two ounces of crack total. Uh, no guns, no violence, no gangs, no conspiracy. Just two ounces. Uh, but in Kentucky, you know, they still have their own law. So, so they do what they want to do. Uh, that's about it, you know. And uh, and right now, I'm talking to you. You're you're in a federal halfway house right now, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, so you went to prison. You started serving your sentence in 2011. So when did you when did you go into the halfway house? Uh, March 17th this year, last month. And you said you you'll be out what September? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So just take us through what happened with your with your arrest. How did that go down? Had you had? I mean, had you been arrested previously prior to that? Or was it your first time? No, it was my. It was actually my second time. When I was eighteen, uh, I was put out of my house. My mother, you know, uh, put me out for some reasons, and uh, I started hustling, selling drugs, and 
six months after my 18th birthday, uh, a family friend, a 40-year-old family friend, uh, called me and told me to get him some drugs. I got him some drugs and, and was arrested. And I did nine years for that. I got him maybe a total of an ounce. And I went to prison for nine years, 18, 19. So I came home in 2007 to end in the recession and got back into it, you know, uh, and 18 months later, I was I was busted again for selling the house. It gave 151 months. So I was foolish for a while. <laughs> I guess that's what I can say. You know, I made a few foolish mistakes. And, uh, and it cost me a lot. Uh, it cost me a lot. Yeah, so so you pled you pled guilty in uh, to that indictment in 2009. What were the reasons why you decided to plea? Uh, because of the threat of, of, of more, more time, you know, uh, I argued a fact, you know, I argued a few factors and, and then my lawyer said if I didn't plead guilty, I would, you know, 851 and, you know, I could face a life sentence. So it was time to just get out of the way and accept it. Even if I wasn't guilty for that crime, I had these things I wasn't supposed to do anyway. So it was better to just take the time and go to prison. Mm-hmm. So you're you're serving this time. It's your second time uh, doing time in prison. Was it different than your first experience? Was it like, you know, no big deal? Because you, I mean, you've been there before. Was were there oh, any, it was, uh, differences? It was, it was totally different, John. Uh, I guess I can say I don't know what other states do or how they how they do prison time, but in Kentucky, you don't have a politics, a lot of racism, a lot of stabbings, a lot of, you know, it just doesn't go down. And you're always at home, close to your family. In a federal prison, you have, you know, politics, racism, stabbings, killings over cutting people in the line. Or they might ship you, I, I was shipped to California, hmm. I was shipped to Texas, I was shipped to Pennsylvania. And I didn't come from a family of money, I come from a family of poverty, so getting visits was, you know, it's impossible to get visits being so far away. So it made it a little harder. Uh, it was more animalistic thinking when it comes to the inmates in the federal prison. You know, uh, they have normal ways that they had, that they seen as normal. You know, like I said, uh, oh, he cut me in line, I'm going to stab him, cut me in line. You take a man's life and cut you in line. But that's the mentality they had, so that's what made it hard, the inmates' mentality. So take us through, and you know, I want to I want to take take our time go, going through this uh, this part of your story because it's it's so important. But uh, you came across some information about a potential terrorist attack. Um, take us through, and you don't have to name names. I guess you can if you want to. Um, take us through exactly what happened at that at the beginning part. How did you? How did you come across this information, and what happened there? Before I go in there, John, I want to clarify something. Because, and even though I, I live a different life now, I work hard, I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. non-profit organization, I'm trying to do things right. I want to clarify that, uh, you know, where I come from, being informed is just, it's just it's a no-no. So right. I want to clarify that, that, that never have I been informed you know, on any situation that with my mm-hmm. My way of life or my way of living, like you said, I'm saying, uh, this situation with a terrorist attack on American soil, to me, it didn't count 
as an being an informant. To me, it was I got to save my country. I got to save my people. I got to do the right thing. To me, it, I, I guess what I want to say, like a rat or a stool pigeon, they call it somebody who tells them his friends or tells them his partners or his buddies or you know. And I've never did that. Never would do such a thing. Mm-hmm. ISIS was ISIS was not my friends, not my buddies. Not they would kill my family if given opportunity. So with that, right. with that being said, if it's a, if, if you rape a woman, I'm, I'm gonna tell you. No, if our kids are raping a kid, I'm gonna report it. You know, things of that mm-hmm. nature is just out of the, out of the norm. So I want to clarify that. I don't want to hear the oh man, he's an informer. He's a yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about. I mean, you're basically talking about. Vi- you know, violent crimes. You're talking basically an act of war. You know, right, a potential right, right. act of war that you're talking about here. So, right. yeah, that's important clarification. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I was in prison, and this guy he just self-surrendered. He came in, he just got off the bus or whatever. Nobody wanted to be unsettling with him. So, uh, I allowed him to come sail with me. At the time, we had access to cell phones, so he's calling somebody every day. And every time we get on the phone, he was emotional. Now, now let me get understand it. The guy was uh, uh, homosexual, I guess. Is that, the word, is that the correct word to use? Oops, I, I, I think so. You say you say gay, gay. I yeah, mean, okay. Well, part part of LGBTQ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and people didn't want to sell with him, you know, feeling like he was uh, because of that. Uh, so I don't have a problem with that community. So I, I you know, I allowed him to sell with me. So, uh, and he was a Spanish guy, of course, there's only black guys on the walk and white guys, you know, like I said, the racism thing. So, with him being Spanish and gay, nobody wanted to sell with him. So, I allowed him to sell with me, and uh, he's making phone, I'm letting him use my cell phone. He's making regular phone calls to a guy named Omar, right? So, so he's getting off the phone, he's getting emotional, and so finally we decided, you know, he, he came out with it. He told me that he had joined, I thought it was, let's back up. I never heard of a terrorist group anybody Muslim taking accepting a gay Spanish guy. You know, I was like, what? Nah. But he told me how him and Omar and others had traveled to other countries and et cetera, et cetera. And so you got to give me background on that. Some Chinese, some Chinese couple in New York was the one who had the documents and the, the passports and all the things made up. That's where they would meet. The meeting point was New York. And, uh, you know, as the more and more he talked, the more and more people he got. So I, now I would eavesdrop on this phone conversation with Omar, and I'm I'm hearing it. So finally, you know, I'm hearing Omar saying, I'm hearing Omar saying, I mean, I'm hearing him tell Omar, uh, be careful, I don't think it's a good idea, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we got off the phone and asked him one night. I said, we, we got to stay to talk. I said, what's going on with Omar? Why do you keep pressing him about the situation? What is he crying? So he gave me a story. He told me Omar was really married. Uh, Omar was ashamed of being gay. Uh, they were secret lovers. And he got to tell me about the whole plot uh, in Orlando. Mm-hmm. What he said was, he didn't say the particular nightclub, as, as the documents say, as, as you can see in the documents. I mean, well, to make uh, <laughs> but, but he didn't say a particular nightclub. He said a nightclub or closest to Disney World he can get. But right. he did say it's going to be the 1st of June. Uh, so every day now I'm milking him to milk information from Omar. And the information I would get from him, I would send it to, uh, I could send it to Rand Paul, send it to Rand Paul. I sent it to uh, White House. I sent it to. What, what, made, you, what made you send it to, to Rand Paul? Just because he was your senator in Kentucky? 
Right, right. He's from yeah. Bowling Green, and, I, and 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 you know, every time he can get uh, some fame or pretend like he cares, he you know he usually jumps right on it. You know, that's yeah. how he is. But uh, I sent it to the agent. I sent it to the White House. I sent a letter to the Department of Justice at the time. Eric Holder might have been in the office. So, so th- this was yeah, it would have been Eric Holder. So yeah, this this was March, right? March of uh, twenty sixteen. Is that right? Fifteen or sixteen? Well, fifteen. Well, the shooting in Orlando was June twenty sixteen. Okay, okay, sixteen. Yeah, sixteen. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, it was March. Yeah, so March twenty sixteen. So. I guess just to backtrack. So after the first time you start hearing about this stuff and you're overhearing, uh, you know, you're, you're uh, Sally talking about it. Like when was the first time you thought, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta come forward with this. I, I gotta do something. Well, I'll wrestle with it. I'll be honest with you. Coming from where I come from, like you're not supposed to be an informant under no mm-hmm. circumstances. So, I believe I, I I had I got to seeing uh my kids and people my community's kids at Disney World around June. You know what I mean? Like I said, the information was given me for a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to be not to Bible thump, but I, I'm a spiritual guy. I believe in God, so mm-hmm. God gave it to me for a reason. Now, and if I don't say nothing, and it happens, and my family had to be on vacation or and somebody from Bowling Green have to be on vacation and, and get killed in a terrorist attack that I could have stopped. Then, then, then God, you know, would punish me because he, he set me in a position to get it for a reason. It was my thought process. So I decided then I had to do something. So did, did you, you contacted, you know, Senator Rand Paul and who let you contacted a, a special agent? How did you, how did you find like, I guess a special agent. Who did you? How did you know who to contact, or like, how did you go through that process? Well, special agent was on my case. He was, he was the one who arrested me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that so that was the guy you reached out to, and do you remember the time frame of when you when you reached out to the special agent? I'm pretty sure it was March. It was March. And was that through your lawyer, or was that you well, directly? I called him directly first. And he advised me to go to my lawyer. So uh, as we spoke, I called my lawyer, told my lawyer's situation, uh, Brad Kaufman. And I emailed my lawyer some things. And he reached out to my lawyer, like, hey, I need to get the information. So he goes, he gets the information from my lawyer. And if, if you look in the documents, it shows where, you know, uh, by that time, I was saying, hey, I'm going to give you guys this regardless. Uh, but I mean, I would like to be free. I don't want to be stuck in prison among these guys who have zero tolerance for, for being an informant. So I want you to get back to the hostile environment. That's why I need to be removed from this hostile environment once it comes out. So he agreed to with my attorney, but of course, as you see, I'm still here and they ignored the measure. So he, he agreed to it, but there was, was there anything in writing? I mean, was there any way to prove that he agreed to it? Well, honestly, uh, the agreement, the uh, I think, I think you had, I think, uh, I want to say, by him picking, like my lawyer said, and, and wasn't by him coming and picking up the information from my attorney, he was, and, and my attorney advised me at the time what I what I wanted out of 
I mm-hmm. want to be out of the hostile environment, and him taking it was a, was an agreement. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, and I mean, even even just that aside, um, just the more the moral right thing to do would be, you know, getting this information and, and, and you know, sticking to your word on it. But uh, so this guy, the special special agent, takes this information to the FBI, um, to law enforcement. He's, he's, he says he did. He says he did. He might have yeah. just done nothing. Right, right. I I got kind of been doing nothing because Omar was flagged in 2014. So, so as you took this information, then you tell me they, they just outright ignored it, knowing he had been flagged and been suspect with this type of activity already? Mm-hmm. No, I doubt it. So Omar was flagged, and then uh, your celly at the time, how long did he remain in your cell? Was that... Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a week, two weeks. Okay. So by the time June rolled around, you didn't have any contact with him. By the time the shooting actually occurred, I was in a whole new prison. I yeah. woke up one morning. I'll tell you what happened, John. I woke up one morning and uh, I'm fixing my coffee in. You know, I like to watch the news in the morning, so I go in and I'm watching the news. I got my coffee. I'm sipping it, but I'm talking to a guy beside me, and he says, "Man, that's crazy, ain't it?" And I said, "What happened?" I said, "I see all the activity on TV." He said, "You hear about what happened last night?" And I said, "No, what happened?" Man, it's a shooting in Orlando, Florida, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I get to talk, oh, yeah, man, how many people died? Man, that's crazy. And I got up, and I stopped, and I looked at the news. I said, oh, shit. It dawned on me that that was the shooting. Jeez. I said, oh. So then it became real to me, like, oh. And at the time, I was happy that I had information. When I was happy, I had information that I was shopping. So I immediately went and called my lawyer and said, you see the news? He was waiting on my call already. He had already understood what was going on. Yeah, and you had, so the information that you conveyed, you told the special agent that it was Orlando. Mm-hmm. What, what, what else did you, did you tell him? Beginning of the summer, June, to me beat June. Mm-hmm. Over the phone, I told him a guy named Omar, and then he told me to convey it to my lawyer. So when I got off the phone, I decided, okay, I'm not gonna give him all of it. I'm gonna give him just a, just a, the the, the master tapes in the gravy. I'm gonna give him the meat because I want them to come and sit down and talk to me and take it seriously. So I gave him the beginning of the summer. I gave him the terrorist organization. I gave him uh, the city it would be in, city and state it would be in, and around the area it would be in. I think it's. And did, think it's and did he know you? Did he know you were getting that information from your celly at the time, from phone calls? No, cell phones are illegal, John. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so how how did you how did you tell him that you knew about it? Uh, I told him that uh, I, I did tell him that I got it from him. But I told him the cell phone situation. I was sitting here talking to the guy who was going to do the Orlando terrorist attack. Right. Man, that's uh, this is a crazy story. So, I mean, obviously the the Orlando shooting, horribly horribly tragic. I think forty nine people mm-hmm. were killed in that shooting. Obviously, you know, it makes you wonder where where the disconnect was. Obviously, 
obviously they didn't stop the shooting. So obviously they never circled back around to actually investigate back to where, uh, to where you were leading them. And, you know, we could uh, speculate, go down different conspiracies on why or why not. Could be laziness. Could be a whole whole host of different reasons. Laziness is probably one of the bigger reasons. But, uh, oh, right. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> could be a whole host of different reasons. Could be, could be some, uh, some other nefarious, uh, nefarious things that, uh, that are at play. I'll tell you something that bothers me about this whole situation, John. Omar's wife was taken to trial and charged with knowing before the terrorist attack happened. She mm-hmm. knew about it, right? It's a good point. Luckily for her, she was acquitted, you know, and got to go back home to her family. But she was dragged through the mud and uh, belittled and by her peers. And, you know, she went through a lot because of this. And I'm thinking, okay, well, they, well after this, she was acquitted. Shouldn't somebody turn around and charge themselves? You know, shouldn't somebody feds been, from the federal government charge themselves? You, they, they were aware before the terrorist attack took place. So you, you charge this woman with being aware of, of the terrorist attack, but they was aware as well. It just me. You know, interesting point on that that it just, you just made me think of. So they charged Omar's wife, trying to convict her. Obviously, they were going through Omar's phone records, looking at who's he's, who he's talking to. You would think that would have led them back to his uh, his boyfriend at the time, and they would have seen this activity happening right at that time. It's yeah. It's, there's there's something else going on here that uh, I agree. There, there's a reason why they're not digging, and it might just be they don't want people to know that they possibly could have been prevented. Yeah, because no one's still to this day. That's something else that doesn't sit right. But you still have to say no one's came and seen me, even as a suspect. You know, even as being involved, even you know, no one's came to see me and talk to me about it. Period. And I just think it's too big of a deal not mm-hmm. to come and say. Even even how they do, even trying to impl- implement me, you know, you never did that, you know, just kind of like, Shh, I don't want, we don't want to talk about it. And I have a journalist, a couple of journalists from big media outlets uh, that reached out to me and uh, asked to come and see me, but the warden denied them. And, uh, and then they advised me, oh, well, I would leave this alone if I was you, you know, just let it go, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to let the families know, because what about the survivors and the families of the, of the victims? I think they had the right to know that, that this could have prevented that the United States government could have prevented this. And and I don't want to be quiet. Huh? You know, I keep hearing all that. they might arrest you or put you back in prison so you get on it. Yeah, I don't I don't I think everybody has a right to know and and hopefully an investigation opens up and we can figure out what went on by uh that information is gonna handle so recklessly. Why nothing was done, why there's a lot of die. Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I mean, before this interview leading up, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous publishing this, but uh, yeah, it, it needs to be out there because it's the truth of what happened, and, and you lived through this, and you, uh, I mean, you've seen all of the documents. You, uh, I think you, you had a lawyer, but you also represented yourself. Some is that right? Right, right, right. When well, a lawyer just handled the. Uh, he, he was a family friend, rest in peace, he passed away. And uh, oh, sorry, Brad, was, man. Brad was just always there for me, you know, no matter what. Uh, but the paperwork side of it, I would do. The negotiations, he would do, you know. So we kind of tag team, <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Yeah. So w- when they when they came back in and denied you, um, you know, th- 
your uh, I guess I don't know if it'd be clemency or I don't know what it would would have been considered at that time or just letting you out. Um, what was what was their reasoning for doing that? Uh, the prosecutor says even though the agent may have made a deal, she never agreed to anything. Uh, it's disturbing because she says it wasn't her motions. In hindsight, Morrow did provide accurate information to the terrorist attack. That's not enough. To, listen, woman, you just gave me 12 and a half years over, an ounce of, over less than an ounce of crack cocaine. What are you talking what, what? How is that? What, what are you? There's not enough to let me go home to get me out of this hospital mm-hmm. environment before they find out that I'm in here. Because uh, ISIS has people in, in federal prison. There's a lot of terrorists walking around with nubs and you know, it's where they send them to. It's where they send their terrorists to federal prisons. So Muslims is the deepest, you know, the single car in prison. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm just hostile environment. Get me out of there. What do you what, what do you and she just refused to I believe it's personal though. So so you've had to live these past, you know, four years, five years, however long it's been. With uh, basically looking over your shoulder. Oh, every and, uh, day. Yeah. Every day. Every day. What's what's day. what does that do to your to your psyche? I mean, how do, how does that? What I mean, what does that do to you as, as a person? It's got to make you kind of anxious, right? I'll tell you what, John. They had me at a halfway house where uh, two weeks before I came, uh, an inmate was walking out of the halfway house. Two of them. One of them was shot down right in front of the door, right? So mm-hmm. then the day that I got here, right across the street, another person got shot. So every day I think, oh, I'm a setting duck right here. Once this comes out, I'm a, I'm a setting duck. So yeah, of you course got, I went uh, back. Yeah. You got to September. That's, yeah, it's, it's crazy that you can't, can't get out sooner. Just for a little bit of drugs and you provide information that could have saved, you know, 49 people's lives and a bunch of injuries and, uh, and they won't let you out. Just absolutely insane. I have, I have a clemency pending still. I haven't. I haven't been denied. So I have a clemency pending. What What I had there with you was uh, it was dealing with the courts. You know, with the judge. Mm-hmm. I have a clemency pending as well. Okay, so that, that that's, that's I guess that's what I was getting at before. So it's, it'd be separate than any any clemency. What you're doing with the courts. Um, right. Okay. So how how does this? I mean, you talked about a little bit. Of, at the beginning here about, you know, you're not a snitch, the reason you're reasoning for doing this. I mean, do, do other inmates know that you did this? Like what have you gotten? What kind of response have you gotten from, from other, other people in there? Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they know. Uh, and I've had a few fist fights, you know, dealing with it. Uh, luckily for me, I, I got shipped to a, I guess a low security prison. Uh, it was kind of like put the knives away, and then you got to fight. So it was kind of, mm-hmm. I'm kind of a big guy. So I didn't, you know, I was able to keep a few of them off of me. I guess you say. Is is there anything else about this story that that we need to talk about that, that I've missed? Any other important pieces? Yeah, I think that. I don't want to sound. You asked me earlier about my psychic, about uh, where I guess where I'm at mentally, right? And mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like some crazy 
uh, conspiracy theories or some uh, with some nights I, I dreamed that I was, you know, that I could see that club that I was there and I was around the area. I could feel the heat. And I feel like sometimes they're talking to me. That's why I never stop trying to advocate and trying to get it out there because their families need to know. Uh, America needs to know. You know, it's what we pay the government to protect us, especially from terror, especially from other countries uh, coming in our country and doing what these people are doing. Uh, they want to be heard, John. Nobody's listening. Like, like you hear about the and you hear about the other shootings every year, the anniversaries of the Parkland shooting and the Vegas shootings and but these poor people they swept under the rug. You don't hear speak on the Orlando shootings. I've asked mm-hmm. people about it. Just you remember the, what? Orlando shootings? What was that? What was that? You talking about the ones in Vegas? Are you talking about the one these poor people have been swept under the rug? And mm-hmm. and, and, and I get the one is because they was gay, it's because they was Latino. What what makes the, the their situation not as important as the rest? Mm-hmm. These people, I'm going to be their voice. I'm going to make people remember them. I'm going to make people understand we could have saved them. And and, and if I go back to prison, so be it. I'm not going to let these people be forgotten because they were just as important as the rest of us. Absolutely. And that's a really good point. You do, I mean, you never hear about the Orlando shooting. When I, after I talked to you on the phone about this a couple of weeks ago, I, I couldn't remember when it was. I didn't know if it was like 2010 or I had no idea. I don't know if it was two years ago or, or 10 years ago. Um, so I had to look it back up and kind of you know, reacclimate myself and read about it just because you're exactly right. It's not something that anybody ever talks about, which is really, really strange. And right. Right. it's really like when you talk about a terrorist attack involving um, ISIS or involving um, like 9-11 was Al-Qaeda, but I, I guess to say involving a terroristic organization from from the Middle East, this is the it's the second biggest terrorist attack since 9-11, right? I yeah, mean, I guess, second biggest on American soil since 9-11. Yes, exactly. I guess Vegas would be considered, I don't know how many people died there, but that was considered a domestic terrorist domestic. attack, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who knows it if goes, that's accurate It or goes not, back but. to... I, I know I know somebody's not gonna agree with me, but or, or don't want to hear his name. We try not to say his name as much, but uh, it goes back to what President Trump was saying with the media. You know, like uh, somebody's controlling the media. You know, somebody told the media to, to, to dumb this down, to not speak on it, to 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 let it let it be washed away, because mm-hmm. the second biggest terrorist attack in America. So we're not speaking on it. We speak on 9-11 every year, all year long. Mm-hmm. What made these people less significant? What makes these people less important? The Americans, they're our people. They pay their taxes and, they, and their families and they and they breathe and they love and they smile and they, you know, what makes them, how do we forget about them? Why are they not important anymore? It's crazy, man. So, Looking, looking at you, and looking at you know your life. Looking forward here, you get out in in September of this year. Can you just kind of talk about you know lo- looking forward to that? Um, you know, what are some things you're you're looking forward to once you uh, once you get your freedom back? Well, right now I'm I'm, I'm working on start, starting a magazine. Uh, 
I want to do a federal halfway house in Western Kentucky because they don't have any. And I have a nonprofit organization uh, that I just put together called We Are One. And, and with that, I want to, where I'm from, I feel like we haven't addressed the root of the problem with the crime. Uh, like we'll do the Boys and Girls Club and, and Big Boy and Big Sister and go get one of these little kids out of the house for an hour a day if they're going to change their lives. But the root of the problem is the parents. I want to get them educated off drugs in the workplace, teach them how to articulate their words. Uh, just show them some things. You know, stop buying the designer clothes and shop at Walmart. Walmart's nice, you know. I want to, I want to sit down and, and really get back. A lot of guys that were at the height of the drug game that I was, they'll, they'll go to prison and come out and go work every day and stop selling drugs, and, and that's that. It's mm-hmm. leave the mess they made behind, you know. I made a mess. Well, I know the life I lived in the streets affected the few generations. I know people looked up to me with the glamour and the glitz and the clothing stores. And that's not the story I want to leave. That's not that's not the impression I want to leave on. I want to go back and say, listen, I was wrong. I was misled. I misled you. Here's here's what we need to be doing. And it's possible to get rich legally if that's, if that's, if that's your goal. Mm-hmm. You allow your mind to absorb that and understand that, you know, it's a little hard work, but so I want to go back really clean my community up, John. I really want to go back and not just my community, I want to be everywhere cleaning up. I want to help this violence. You know, uh, I used to be an advocate with rap. I love listening to rap music. Now every time I turn on, it's talking about killing each other. I don't understand like, where are we doing wrong? You know, what, are, what are we doing wrong? What are we... So I want to dig deep and hope I'm going to save somebody. 21 years in prison for two ounces of crack. It was too harsh for me, and I don't want some ass to go through that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, man, and that really is admirable that, that you want to do that uh, with your time. I mean, culture is so important. It influences everything. And, yeah, we, we do live in a very materialistic culture where, you know, people, even if they don't have money, they want to, you know, show that they put on the, the front that they that they do. And all that does is set up a situation where you end up doing things that, uh, you know, could, you know, could put you or your family at risk. And uh, that's, that's not the, uh, not the best way to go about life. I want Dalton, to I want yeah, to, go ahead. I want to, uh, I'm looking for a way to find the families too, the survivors and the families are the ones that was passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really want to talk to them, John. I really, I envision a big church, a big auditorium, and just us talking, you know what I mean? Just me telling them what, what I told them. And, and honestly, when it comes down to it, uh, I'm walking around with the documents, John. You know, I'm going to give them the documents and let them see for themselves and, and, and let them come and arrest me. But I want the families to know the truth. I really want to, I want to talk to them. I want to be around them. I want to, I want to know that somebody is, is still mourning with them. And you you brought up the uh, the documents are sealed, right? They're considered a national security risk. Is right, that right, is that accurate? Right, 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 right. I meant to talk about that at the beginning, but I forgot. So that, that's an, a very important piece of a uh, very important piece of this. I think it was classified national security. I think it was Cla- classified. Yeah, classified. Yeah. So. You know, when they do that, they uh, they change or they unclassify stuff, you know, maybe 10 years, 20 years from now, they could unclassify it. But what good is that going to do then? 
you know, the unclassified, it's 20 years later. And they say it's a national security risk. It's uh, probably more than anything. It's just a, uh, it's an embarrassment <laughs> risk for, uh, for showing, for showing what they missed. Right. But that's, right. I think, I think a lot of times that's what this stuff is. And people say it's a grand conspiracy. Maybe it is. I'm not saying it could be. Who knows? But probably more likely, it's just laziness and incompetence. Um, I beg the judge to unseal it. I beg the judge to unseal it. He refused to unseal it. I beg him, beg him. And I just take the names out. Just take the names out. So you use excuse of, well, you, something might happen to you if, it, if we unseal it. Okay, well, you let, you, let, you already let 49 people perish. You know what I mean? When am I? I'm 24. <laughs> saying like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Let the families know. Let America know. Yeah, they're they're the only thing they're concerned with is uh, is covering their own ass, and yeah. uh, and this and this makes them look like a bunch of assholes to put it to put it bluntly. But uh, you know, I, th- I think that's it. We're, we're running out of time here, but I did want to give you some time. You know, just to take at the end here. If there's anything else you want to promote or anything else that, you know, any, any parting word of wisdom, words of wisdom that you want to give. Uh, really, I, I, I asked everybody to talk about this more. I asked you to go do your research on this, on this attack. Uh, and be a voice for these people, be a voice for the ones we lost. Uh, it's, it's, It's just, it's just sad way we we just forget about these people. It just that, that's my whole focus right now is is is, is making sure we don't forget about them. It's to refresh your memory. You know they they need your voice because it could be you. You know it could have me anybody. Uh, the government shouldn't be allowed to. I guess John said, uh, be lazy or drop the ball and just keep going. Like okay, mm-hmm. all right, let's let's keep going. It shouldn't be allowed. Uh, I have a couple of social media platforms. I'm going to be speaking on it a little more. Uh, my real name is one of my, my Facebook page. I have my assistant who's really into a lot, uh, helping people and things. Her name Sharia Hester. She's setting up some accounts. Uh, I'm going to do everything in my power to get this out there, to, to get the voice, to get their voice heard. Uh, I like to team up with some people on, on my nonprofit, you know, and try to not just my city, but other cities come together to do some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, a, a friend of mine, a cousin of mine, a brother. His name is Robert Deshaun Boyd. He uh, he wrote a book on how to clean your crack up in 180 days. Uh, we're going to try to help people in our community know more about credit, you know, more, more about, you know, yeah. getting, their, getting their credit together, getting their life together. Uh, it just, John... I got a lot I'm doing. I got, it's a book called Who's Zooming Who? It just came out by Terrence Giles, a friend of mine. He's, be, he's on the board of my nonprofit. Uh, we, we, we're trying to do everything we can to kind of buckle down and show guys the prison not the route. You can do something different. You put your mind to it. You don't have to go to prison to learn what we learn. You can stay right out here. We're going to reach out and teach you. If you reach out to us, we help everybody. We can help avoid prison, avoid this life altogether. Hundred percent, and uh, you know, I just just to say it again. I mean, you, you talked about it at the beginning there. Your statement, you know, the families, the people who lost lives here in this incident, forty nine lives, forty nine lives, forty nine people who lost a family, forty nine families who, who lost a uh, a family member. Uh, 
uh, it's uh, it could have been prevented, and someone needs to be held accountable for it. That's at the end of the day. I mean, the government doesn't get off the hook if this happens to a, a private citizen, you know, d- doing something, doing something wrong like this. Uh, they would be held accountable. I mean, you, you ended up doing coming. I guess coming up on what 10, 10 years in prison for just a, a little bit of drugs. I really actually, John. I, I was arrested in two thousand nine, February. I just came home in March, so actually, I did twelve years in a month. Twelve, twelve years in prison for just for for a nonviolent crime. Just uh, no, no guns, no conspiracy, yeah. no violence. Yeah, I, I've seen I've seen murderers get out sooner. You know, it's crazy. But hey, it's what it is. I want, I'm sorry. I would I would add some. Uh, it's, it's it's something I want people to really go go look, go read. Mm. That's coming up thinking that selling drugs is cool or thinking that disrespecting women are cool or thinking that bashing gays and being racist is cool. There's a book called Message to the Little Homies by, by Derek Simmons. I think it needs to be read, too. I want to promote that book for Derek because I think he did a great job of trying to stir. And he did 19 years in prison. And he's trying to stir kids away from prison. That's great. I'll uh, I'll link to that too and everything else that you're plugging on the uh, on the show notes page. You should go to lionsofliberty.com to find that. And uh, that's it, man. I mean, we'll be talking, you know, here probably in the fall once you get out, and uh, we'll get a get an update on you uh, where everything is. But uh, be well and uh, stay All right. safe. All right, you too, John. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Peace, All right. Dalton. All right. All right, guys, taking a quick break here. Last week, I talked to you about uh, Tyler Colford, also known as Crypto Man, and uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called First World Problems. Basically, what it's doing is it's talking about different concepts are woven throughout the track, you know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things. It's a really, really interesting track. The video dropped this past week. It is amazing to actually the taxation is death mug that we sell in the Lions of Liberty store, lionsofliberty.store. You can pick yours up today. Makes the debut in the video. Going to link to the video on the show notes page. But please, please on top of that, of course, like the video, share the video. Please go wherever you listen to your music, iHeartRadio, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man. And please like this song, share it with your friends. And it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out. Cost of education when internet is free. Blind window makers who simply cannot see. Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, If you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, the three shows that we have, uh, Monday's show with uh, Mark Clare, our flagship program, our longest running program, and uh, on Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land with Brian 
McWilliams. Um, those guys have been killing it, and I am so excited about the direction of Lions of Liberty. Um, we're seeing some awesome numbers right now, and we're going to continue to grow, so it's great stuff. If you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash Liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash Liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt. And we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning. Oh,